0: So this morning we return to meditative cultivation of loving kindness, and as we arouse this aspiration for ourselves and others, it's very important that we take a very embracing, non-exclusive approach to this, which is to say that we arouse this yearning that others may find the happiness that they seek. Now, of course, if it's something unwholesome, then we don't go along with that, but by and large meaningful aspirations for hedonic well-being to flourish financially to you know to have enough to get a good education and so forth and so on nothing wrong with that and of course for genuine happiness as well but we're not excluding we're not kind of looking down on hedonic well-being since after all we all want that too but within this dynamic between the pursuit of hedonic well-being and genuine happiness the the question that comes up and it's come up throughout history, East and West. It's a big, great, big universal question. And that is when it comes to the our hedonic well-being. Such things as, of course, food, clothing, shelter, and medical care. How much is enough? How much is enough? Right? a theme that runs throughout spiritual traditions around the world is that the pursuit of hedonic well-being is in the service of the pursuit of genuine happiness. Call it liberation, call it salvation, call it enlightenment, awakening, call it the Tao, call it God, call it what you will, but that one is in the service of the other. Not that one's bad, the other's good. People who get into that syndrome are a little bit, I think, a bit confused, a bit too elitist. But one in the service of the other. But then how much? How much? So we can take one, let's say, well, one possibility is there's never enough. When it comes to hedonic well-being, it's just never enough. You're only one billionaire, but what about having two billion? You only have 10 billion, what about 20 billion? You only have one wife? What's wrong with a harem? <laughs> you only have one husband, you know, let be equal here. And, and around, you know, how, how many houses, how many cars and so forth and so on. And so there are lies. I think some people are exemplifying this ideal that it's never enough, even to the dying day, still striving for more. And to my mind, that really strikes me as like bad religion. And I'm going to define bad religion. Okay? And bad religion has lost touch with any experientially based ethics. It's really circling around blind faith and empty ritual. How about that? Does that do? For bad religion. I'm going to be really judgmental here. But is there such a thing as bad religion? Well, I kind of think we probably agree on that. There are instances of people really practicing bad religion, and I think we'll find that their sense of ethics has gotten unhinged from reality, from what's actually going on in this world. Their faith is blind, and the rituals they engage in are empty. I mean, that, that would be kind of the 100%, that's bad religion, no good part of that at all, right? But how about a life that is absolutely committed to just more money, more sensual pleasure, more, more, more? It's completely unhinged from ethics. You're going through all these rituals of, look at this house. This, look at this. What was that when I heard about? A billion-dollar house in Mumbai, 18 stories for one family and there were multiple swimming pools on different floors so you wouldn't have to take an elevator. I mean, I I hate it to have to take an elevator to my swimming pool. I want it where I am now. I mean, after all, give me a break here. Elevators are boring. And so I kind of understand that. A billion-dollar home for one family, and and it's kind of surrounded by a slum area to make you feel really rich. Because look at them. They don't even have one swimming pool. And look at mine. So that's an empty ritual, because where's the happiness? It's an empty ritual. It's absolutely empty ritual. right? And then the belief, this is going to be satisfying. <laughs> this is going to make me happy. This is going to, this is going to do it. But boy, if, that, if there's ever an instance of blind faith, that was a swell one. I mean, how many wealthy people do we need to find who are on antidepressants, they're taking drugs, they're alcoholics, they're depressed, they're mean, and so forth and so on. How many do we need to show, hey, This is not an empirically based view to think if you just get really, really rich, you're going to be really, really happy, you know, the evidence is in. So there we go. So there's one extreme. But then we can ask for ourselves and for others, now in a very gentle and loving way, how much is enough? And so when we attend to others in their various phases of life, there's something very gentle, very sweet about this. And in phases of life, for example, for a whole country or a community or an individual, if they haven't gotten there where they feel some security, some financial comfort, freedom from anxiety, and they're just focusing single-pointedly on getting to that level you know, of some security where they can feel, ah, now I can be, begin to relax. And they have really no time for anything else. I think the most loving thing is, may you succeed. Not may you stop doing that and start meditating, but may you succeed so you can get there and you can start breathing again. You're not panting any longer. That would be very loving. Right? May you have enough. May you soon have enough so that you could start raising other questions now that you have enough. That perhaps other questions will come to mind, especially if there's my good philosopher-king education that is insisting that everyone be exposed to the idea there is such a thing as genuine happiness. It may not be relevant now, but sooner or later, consider this option when you've got enough when you've got enough, right? Now what? When you hit that fork in the road where you have enough, do you now just want more of the same? you want to start going in the direction of bad religion? And bear in mind that people who go bad religion who happen to be Buddhist, happen to be Christian, happen to be atheist, yeah, whatever. They give lip service to it all. But what they're really on is, you know, that. But when you hit that fork in the road where you say, good, now I have enough. And now let's get on with it with the whole living, living a more meaningful way of life. A more satisfying way of life, and of course, that's going to entail something that is inwardly transformative that money simply cannot buy. A really good example of that is somebody comes to you and says, "I want to have a lucid dream. How much?" I'm a billionaire, so just tell me how much I can afford it. I, but I want to have a lucid dream every week. So how much? And, sorry. More than you can more than you can afford. <laughs> Because this entails some inner transformation. If you're not willing to pay that, you can't get in the door. No admission. So sorry. Let's look on the other side. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. No, the Buddhist tradition as a whole, there's a theme, and it's a spe- specifically monastic, but the implications are for the whole, everyone following this path. And the Tibetan is, chok Be satisfied with that which is merely adequate. Find what is adequate. Find what meets your needs. Then you might want to double check, do I really need that? Yes? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a really smartphone? <laughs> How much do you really need? And then being content there and so you can direct your attention Elsewhere. Right. So as one instance of this, kind of intense, uh, quite a number of years back, about eight years back, I think it was eight years, yeah, eight years ago, I went to the Se Gumbha, the Se Monastery in Abba. I mentioned it yesterday. 800 monks all do three-year retreats. 800, all of them will do it. And I met with one who had already been through a three-year retreat. And it was a three-year Kalachakra retreat, by the way. And during this time, they spent 49 days in pitch black. 24, 24/7, no light. Somehow they have a little black crack that you know gets to get some food. I'm sure they have a place to go to the toilet, but they are pitch black for 49 days. In other words, when you get to that point, how much is sufficient? Well, nothing. <laughs> really, how much hedonic pleasure can you get in the pitch dark? I mean, you have only your own internal cinema, but man, that can drive you crazy, right? It's called rumination theater. And so this monk I spoke with, he was just lovely, really lovely monk. And he said, having done this himself and seen quite a number of other monks, it was just monks in that monastery, he said, you get into that one, and it either makes you go crazy or get saner. One of the two happens. Is he crazier or much saner? Really works through a lot of neuroses, he said. Quite interesting. Right? So, So, that's it. That's it. So here we are—not in a sensory deprivation tank or pitch black for 49 days—but I would imagine some people could really start going a little bit wonky, even in an environment like this. Like, are you kidding me? No internet. Are you kidding me? Looking for some place to plug in. You know, might be difficult to handle. So some people might find this very, very difficult—not only difficult but debilitating—and others may find it. I think many of you have found it very helpful. But there it is. So let's jump into the into the practice with no further ado. two ways of cultivating loving kindness. One is on the meditation cushion, cultivating it mentally, and the other is by conducting oneself in a loving way, behaving lovingly, enacting loving service in the world. So as we begin this session, let's begin it with an act of loving kindness towards ourselves. As we gently affectionately settle the body, speech, and mind in the natural state. And arouse your awareness and its more creative, imaginative capacity, as you direct your awareness inwards upon your own well-being, envisioning your own flourishing, hedonically, as well as eudaimonically, or in terms of genuine happiness. the question what would make me truly happy? And consider the hypothesis that your yearning for happiness, your yearning to be free of suffering, stems from the deepest dimension of your own being, one of pristine awareness. Symbolically, imagining that mode of awareness as an orb of light at your heart, with each outbreath, imagine rays of light flowing out and filling your whole being. With each outbreath as you rouse the aspiration. May I be truly well and happy. Hedonically well and genuinely happy. now let your attention rove, but under your direction as if you were inviting guests to dinner to offer them a wonderful meal. Direct your attention where you will, to any individual or group of individuals, and attend closely to their aspirations for hedonic well-being with the innermost desires of genuine happiness, of fulfillment, and practices before. Again like a, a bee going from one flower to the next. Go at your own pace. Choose the focus of your attention as you will. and release all appearances that your awareness rest in its own place illuminating itself Also, enjoy your day.